right, inappropriate Earl. We're back, back for more. And uh, you know, I I don't like to uh, tease the audience with the tease up front, but this Monday, let's just say inappropriate Earl is going to have a rodent infestation on his couch. I'll let you uh, think about that for a second, but. I have my better half, the co-hostess with the mostess, the lovely and talented millennial Chandler Barbie in the house. And we're going to review Terminator Salvation, the newest in the line of Terminator movies. Some controversy, some view this as Terminator 3, but let's get Chandler in on the mix. Okay. Hello. So uh, Chandler, as you know, is 27 years old. She wasn't... uh, The original Terminator came out in 1983, I believe. No, 80... Give me fact check it. Was it... it No, no. uh, Yeah, I think it was 83. Uh, You think I would check this before I start the podcast, but that's part of the charm of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, I don't like to do fact checks unless it's... Like some You like fat chicks? I like fat chicks. What? How fat chicks? Been there. Like fat chicks was my next joke. Uh my dad killed a whale and got it the cover of Life magazine. I killed a whale and ended up in debt. <laughs> so uh, I believe Terminator came out in nineteen eighty three because in eighty six uh, Schwarzenegger did uh Raw Deal. I only know that because I saw a double feature of Cobra and Raw Deal. So uh, 1983, I believe, was the first Terminator. So, mm. and then there was. Did James Cameron direct that? Yes. Hmm. And then there was Terminator 2. It's 1984. 1984. Great movie, low budget. I think it was made for a total of $6 million, which back yeah, then $6. was. $6.4 million. Back then was dollars Opening weekend, $38 million gross. In the U.S. And you know what's crazy? It was released October 26, 1984. When was this one released? Did they release it on the same day? That would be crazy if they did. And keep in mind, those prices are when movies were $5. So uh, that's if you add inflation and whatnot. uh, Terminator probably made $100 million. uh, Given today's movie... uh, Ticket prices. I mean, uh, me and Chandler saw the newest Terminator at uh, the Century City uh, theaters, and it was like $32. So movies are now on average probably $16, which is crazy. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into what we thought about it. Uh, I personally, of course, being the older of the two, liked the first one a lot better. Um, And... Uh, I'm going to guess before she even says anything that she liked this one better than the first one. Chandler, thoughts? Um, no, I like the first one. I feel like this one, this is going to be a spoiler, but I feel like this one catered more into like you're the hero. You know what I mean? Like I saw it coming, but I know you weren't allowed. I'm not allowed to talk during movies anymore because Earl says I ruined movies. But like as soon as... uh. They did the flashback the first time of the lady that was helping her. What was her name? I don't remember. Linda Grace. Hamilton. Grace. No, the girl, the the augmented soldier. 
Grace. Oh, and the, the new one, was, one. Yeah, the new one. Right. She, uh, as soon as they did the flashback of her and was like, why does she have this like connection to help this girl? I was like, oh, because this girl saved her in the future. Yeah, it's a confusing, uh, if, if you don't really, uh, you know, follow the storyline, uh, you know, in the first one, uh, uh, Schwarzenegger was sent uh, from the future to kill uh, Linda Hamilton, uh, whose son, uh, John Connor, wasn't even born yet, but he was the leader of the resistance mm -hmm. in the future. So, you know, and Michael Bean, who I wish they would have, uh, either James Cameron doesn't like him, but Michael Bean was the uh, protagonist, I guess you'd say, to uh, Schwarzenegger in the first one. Uh, he was the one sent to uh save Lynn hamilton and uh I, yeah. I thought he uh you know he could have been brought back but you know what are you gonna do he wasn't so uh you know i i just didn't like uh but maybe they, they couldn't afford him who knows trust me in 2019 michael bean would be down <laughs> I, I think they could afford him <laughs> I mean, I'll guess. Maybe he was sick and he couldn't do it. Trust me, they would pump him up. He would pump himself up full of so much penicillin and vitamin C and whatever he has. Uh, I'm a big Michael Bean fan. Uh, he was great. Because you uh, like him in Aliens and Tombstone? Aliens, he was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, him and Bill Paxton had a great you know, uh, chemistry. I, I, uh, one of the episodes of the show we shot this summer is in Tombstone uh, in Arizona. And there were posters of Michael Bean everywhere because he's in that. Well, he, uh, you know, he's one of those guys from the '80s. Uh, there's a laundry list of actors where you know you thought they were going to be big stars. You, you know, I'll throw out uh, Treat Williams wasn't you know when he did uh, uh, that epic cop movie uh, from New York. I think Prince of the City it was called. You thought, wow, this guy's going to be a star. Oh, he's from Alabama, Michael Bean. Sorry, continue. Uh, and then, you know, he his career maybe, you know, didn't work out the way it should have. Uh, Michael uh, Beck from the Warriors, you know, who played Swan. You thought, wow, this guy's going to be a star. Uh, you know, and it just didn't happen. And uh, so it, it's... And Michael Bean got big movies. Like, he was in, you know, like Terminator, Aliens. And he was in Con Air. Yeah. Uh, in a supporting role. Uh, I mean, he's still working, like, according... Oh, yeah. I mean, like he does, uh, you know, I don't think people realize how many movies are made that go straight to uh, video or, uh, you know, I, I know streaming. even streaming. Yeah. Str I mean, I know even Stallone has a few movies that I had never heard of uh, that back in the day you'd walk in and blockbuster and go, this is a Stallone movie. Like, when oh, did yeah. he do this? Um, so uh, shout out to Michael Bean if you're listening. Uh, that'd be a guy I would love to have on the podcast because he's probably just bitter enough to be funny. Well, you know what you should do? You should, like I told you, get IMDb Pro. Sorry to everyone. I'm about to reveal some industry secrets. But it like shows people's managers, and Michael Bean isn't rep by anyone but one manager. Cause I love I just, it. Because I just saw his manager is, and just like email his manager. Or sometimes they have their personal email on there because they're like so dumb. And then you can just contact them directly. Well, I have made it more of an effort to uh, reach out to, uh, you know, people. Uh, part of the reason why I lost a little zest for the podcast is uh, kind of ran out of people I actually really wanted to talk to. 
And Donald Trump and Jeremy Piven weren't answering your phone calls. I don't think Piven's aware of my uh, shenanigans. But, I have uh, a question. But even if he is, I had an A-list comic the other day tell me. I can't say who. Can't even hint as to who it is. Uh, <laughs> said, fuck him. So I'm like, okay. This- oh, I thought you were just going to say that they're talking about the podcast. No, no. They were talking, you know, because everyone's going up to me going, what? what? What is your beef with Jeremy Piven? I don't have one. I just think it's funny he's doing stand up. I think too you like you like creating fake beefs with people. You know how people have real beefs on Twitter and it's so dumb. Like I can't remember the comic that had one a few months ago with another comic. But you are known for creating like you did it with Eddie if all the time. That's because me and Eddie are friends. No, so I know, like, but now like you've gotten ballsy to where you just create these fake like beefs with people and it doesn't make any sense. Do you know how many people have asked me at work why you're going in so hard on Piven? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't control him. I'm at work and he's at home with his Twitter fingers all day, bored. <laughs> just and the problem is, is people are encouraging you at the comedy store. But it's big people, name comics are encouraging you. I me. know. Like, I'm not going to say who. They're all saying you're the hero that they can't retweet. I mean, I, I had. They're all liking it. I had a girl come up to me uh, the other night at the what store. What girl? Tell me who she is. <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, she's like, listen, uh, it's an A-list comic. Like, you know, they're very, you know, you know, uh, well-known and she's like, dude, I, I can't. Stormy Daniels? I wish. Uh, I've, I've reached out to her. Yeah, fuck it. She's an A-list comic. Uh, I said, uh, or she said to me, listen, I can't retweet or favorite because I'm good friends with him, but I love it. Keep doing it. <laughs> I feel like I know who it is. But. Well, I just think it's funny that like so many people, and, and I, I guess the reason why I kind of locked in on Piven is one night, and I've told you this story, but I don't think anyone knows this, uh, we're in the back of the comedy store patio where uh, people may or may not indulge in uh, uh, cannabis-related products. And, it's legal uh, here. You can say it. Well, you know, I'm not sure if the comedy store really wants uh, oh. you know that out and about. But, yeah, that's the least of their worries. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's uh, Piven was kind of holding court back there, uh, and uh, and at, at the other end of the you know area people were i guess i was holding court if you if you'd uh use that phrase and so uh, you guys had a big dick contest no not really i think he saw that and he probably doesn't even remember this but he came up to me i think he looked at me like i was some kind of comedy elder because all these people were coming up to me and and kibitzing and uh he's i'm like hey man how you doing i loved you in judgment day which is like a <laughs> like obscure movie he was in with Cuba Gooding where he's like trapped in the city and he's it's kind of like the warriors are fighting their way out or whatever and uh you know he had just gone on in the main room and I don't know how good or bad the set uh, went but uh he's like yeah man I think I got this now cool. I've been you've been doing comedy uh on and off for like what six years uh 20, yeah seven years I've been doing comedy, uh, you know, I always say this, so long I don't even, I can't even remember what the actual start date. I, I'll say 20 years, uh, and I still don't think I have this. Yeah, I still, there are times, well, you saw me two weeks ago, I walked off the stage at UCB and was like, am I even funny anymore? <laughs> but that's a so different uh, skill like set, though. The ballsy attitude, I think it's like, 
the six monthers of stand up comedy where you haven't really bombed yet. You're still so green to it that it's exciting because you got the high of like being on stage and having a microphone and it's your moment to be like, listen to me. I'm funny and I have something to say that you you haven't been like checked yet, if that makes sense. Because I feel like when I was doing stand up the first year, I just was doing it every night, playing all the clubs. I did Atlanta and then I moved to New Orleans for a movie, played clubs, was booking tons of clubs in New Orleans. And it wasn't until I really, really bombed one night in a packed room in New Orleans that just like gave me that shell shock. Like, oh, fuck. Like, this is a thing that can happen, even if you're funny. Because I was doing the same material. It was just like not a hot crowd. And I and I remember an older stand-up comic told me once before that happened, they're like, just so you know, you're going to bomb. And it's going to be hard. It's a rite of passage. And and it's like, once you get the first one over with, you're like, ah. Oh. So, but I think it's like the until that really happens, it's the cockiness of you think it's easy. You're like, I got this. Well, even and he is a very accomplished actor. I mean, I'm a fan of his acting. I mean, like you know, like the guy's been a working actor for you know, thirty years. I think. Right. I think he was in the movie Lucas, which I saw in high school. But that's like we're that. But that's impressive to me. Like I give him a lot of shit for the stand up stuff, but like. But it's the same as like. If a comedian, for us, for instance, I would say we're both pretty accomplished comedians. Like, I know what I'm doing. If I need to do an improv scene or a stand-up set for something or even on, on in a sketch on TV or something, I can do it. But for me to walk in and do a dramatic scene, I'm going to feel nervous and feel... I almost feel like I'm not worthy to be there because I haven't earned my stripes. Like, I feel like I always talk about this with my UCB friends. I think it's harder for a comedian to transition into dramatic or serious or action genre than it, than it is for people to transition from drama into comedy because they think it's so much easier, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I like, mean, people think, anyone thinks they can be funny. If they can make their friends laugh, they're like, oh, I'm fucking funny. Well, I mean, in his case, in theory, that could work. Because that I always tell younger comics, and not even in age, but uh, an experience level. Because there's older comics. I started at 30. So at 33, I was old, like older, but very inexperienced. Uh, is it, it's it's one thing to make your friends laugh at the water cooler or in the fantasy football draft doing shtick, but mm -hmm. that's because everyone knows you. You know the, the crowd. Three years into my stand-up, certainly didn't know who I was. So it's like, all right, make us laugh, monkey boy. Uh, yeah, but, and you have to win them over quick. But Piven is in the rare category where the audiences kind of do know him. Like yeah, entourage. I mean, movie after movie after movie, TV shows. So he's almost uh, in an unfair position, uh, if but you will. Can I be honest? Like, I don't really know who he is. Well, yeah, you know, I know him as the guy from Entourage, but like. Uh, yeah, Entourage. Uh, but I, like I to this day, have never watched one episode. But that's what I'm saying. Like, 
if someone's like, do you want to go see Jeremy Piven? I'd be like, who? I mean, I know who he is now, obviously, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like the audacity people have of thinking they can do stand-up and then booking shows well, automatically when they haven't earned their stripes is just kind of appalling. But, you know, I don't hate on, on people who do. Like, there's, uh, you know, it's like when I was with Rob Schneider, I certainly uh, asked him for help and favors. Hey, can you Well, call there's him? a difference in asking for help and then just saying, I'm famous and now I've decided I'm going to be a stand-up comic because I'm not a movie star anymore. <laughs> but they'll sink or swim on their own. Uh, it's hard to be a stand-up comic it's hard to be funny in general it's the hardest job in the world i think uh because uh you know if you're in a band i always give this example you could be in a shitty band and turn around and blame the drummer hey, he can't keep a beat or you look at the bass player he's out of step with the drummer and it ain't my fault uh you know you know you could in an improv group which you know how much I respect improv because I was. You can blame your teammates. Yeah, you blame. Okay, this guy didn't or girl didn't yes and with me or, you know. But you know, you're stand up. You're a shitty stand up. You look at the curtain behind you, but can't blame it <laughs> unless your jokes are think, written on it. And I think too is like, well, that's the one thing. Uh, when I first started doing stand up, the elders before me were like, "Don't blame the crowd. Whatever you do, don't ever blame the crowd," because those. That 15 minutes you're up there, that's your 15 minutes to sink or swim. Oh, yeah. I and mean. I've seen shows where comics get so frustrated, they blame the crowd, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. But, it, and I think it's hard because you are so depressed off stage, not you in general, I'm just saying the, the general population of stand-up comics are so depressed and you're trying so hard to make people laugh because that's the only high you get. And then when you can't make people laugh, you're like, oh, I hate myself and now they hate me too. So I'm just going to go home and run my head under a boiling water in the sink. Well, you know, very few times will I blame the crowd. Uh, you know, but, you know, I think 98% of the time it's it's you. I've been in rooms where I've bombed horribly and the, and the guy or girl after me killed. Uh, I, I've, you know, I was famous is the wrong word, but, you know, I was uh, locally famous for going into the toughest rooms after, you know, everyone bombing for an hour. And then I would, you know, for whatever reason, do well in the shittiest environments. Is it because uh, you took your clothes off? You no, back then I was, you know, uh, I, I still don't know why I did well in these rooms. Someone came up to me uh, at Ireland's 32, which could be a tough room. Uh, it, it's, it was like an open mic book show in Burbank on Mondays. Uh, uh, but like people like Ian Bag would go there to practice his Tonight Show sets. So mm -hmm. they had some credibility. Uh, they said, dude, you're like the Dane Cook of shitholes. <laughs> the fuck? You know, that's the, I was like, thanks, dude. When, you just compliment the skinniest girl on the biggest loser. Uh, this isn't really a compliment uh, to say you're great in bad rooms. Uh, but, you know, I took the compliment. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Pevin will sink or swim. I mean, uh, you know, I just think it's funny that, you know, he's like headlining and, you know, I don't know if he can do an hour yet. Like, you know, but 
kind of reminds me of when Nick Swartzen was opening up for Screech. Mm-hmm. And like Nick Swartz is like a killer, killer comic, you know, an A-list headliner, and and uh, you know Screech, I guess at this time was the bigger name, uh, and uh, he did oh, like how the tables have turned. But like Nick did like twenty minutes opening and killed, leveled the room, and then Screech was like bombing after fifteen minutes. He's scheduled to do an hour, so he kind of walked off, <laughs> and uh, you know he. I, guess it was relayed to me that he told Nick, hey, can you go back out there? And uh, the the manager of the club was like, no, no, you're going out there because I'm paying you X amount of dollars. You're going to do another 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, he he probably literally didn't have 15 total. So uh, That's so embarrassing. But, you know, what he, you know, so, uh, you know, Pevinal. That's when you got to tell stories. But he he could. Uh, Excuse me, but. That's what I always kind of admired about Rob Schneider is he could just cheat and tell Sandler stories for an hour and the crowd would love it. He yeah. did. He did like an hour and usually 10 minutes of material and, uh, you know, very few, uh, you know, he'd add like one or two stories toward the end because he knew that's what they all wanted. To, you know, hey, tell us about the water boy or, you know, how, how you can do it came about. And, uh, but he did for the most part original uh, all material. Which yeah. I found very impressive. So let's get back to the Terminator. Yeah, I was going to say, what did you think of the Terminator? I get, that's the one note I got from his podcast last time was we didn't stay on subject enough. So, Well, but I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is it's like two people meeting at a bar without the noise. Uh, you know, I don't think I've, this is probably episode 290 now, maybe. Uh, of course, I've done like probably 15 solo episodes so out of the 275 guests i've had i don't think i've ever prepared one question so we do tend to fly off the handle uh i like the first movie just so much better but i was more invested in the story of the casting you know uh like original is that because you didn't know who any of the cast was in this one i mean i didn't know the younger people to be honest with you i Uh, did that guy that played diego is such a dick but uh, well, we'll get into that. Uh, but you know, like uh, I just—I'm a big fan of casting, and it's such a well-known story that when uh, Schwarzenegger got the script, he originally was going to audition for Reese, mm-hmm. uh, which who was the Michael Bean character, and then they're like, "Well, he can't really play Reese because then they need because of his accent and how large he was." Yeah, they're like, you know, Reese was an infiltrator. Like he he was kind of like the like guy my size who could blend into any scene or crowd. You're not going to really believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger could blend into the crowd, right? Uh, and they were like, "Well, if he plays Reese, we got to get someone like Stallone or someone who's bigger than Schwarzenegger," which there were none uh, in terms of body. You would have to get a wrestler. You'd have the only guy you could get, yeah, a wrestler, uh, which might have worked because. Um, you know, the Terminator didn't have that many lines. Is this his first acting thing? No, no. He had done uh, Pumping Iron, which is a great bodybuilding documentary, but like uh, I think he had done... Uh, didn't he do Hercules? Hercules in New York, which is pretty oh, bad. Oh, yeah, that's his first one. Uh, you know, and you, Conan. Oh, I loved Conan. With Will Chamberlain and Bridget yeah. Nielsen. Uh but like I'm trying to think of someone if if they went with Schwarzenegger as Reese. But to be honest with you, I don't think they could have, even if they found a, a bigger body to play the Terminator, because I don't think Schwarzenegger could act. Reese was a very good acting job. Yeah, it's more believable 
I mean, I hate to say that he's been he was typecasted when he was younger, but that's what he needed to be to hit this the point of stardom he needed to hit quickly to then be able to do whatever he wanted. Like he was definitely typecasted in that and Hercules and Conan and even Commando because he was large. He clearly could not speak good English. Like if he talked in that accent to an American audience in the 80s without the internet, um, he's what, Austrian? Yes, uh, the Austrian oak. Yeah, so yeah, he's Austrian, but you're going to be like, yeah, that sounds like somebody from the future. You know? Sorry, I don't think that's what people sound like in the 80s. But you know what I mean? Like, well, it, it c- makes sense that he's, and he's huge. Yeah, I mean, this is like, keep in mind now, like, he's got to be in his 70s right now, I guess early 70s. Yeah. Uh, and he's still pretty big dude. Yeah. Like, has a... Has a uh, well, he has to be, because if you've been that large that long... But, you know, there's uh, frightening photos of... Uh, Plastic surgery. No, the pro wrestler Lex Luger, who, uh, you know, and I know most of them. He's 72. I mean, for a 72-year-old, he's pretty jacked still. And you know yeah. he probably doesn't hit the gym that much anymore. He uh, he was at the premiere of Midnight Sun, um, the movie Rob did last year. And he's, like, big. He's not as tall as I thought he'd be. He's probably your height. But he is pretty big, like... And he doesn't work out really anymore. But, uh, you know, it, it's weird. Like, you know, the Terminator didn't... I think the Terminator, they said, had like under 20 lines in the whole movie. So his lack of acting oh, ability luck. was... Uh, yeah, I look pissed. Really, probably the biggest dialogue he had was the scene when he walks into the gun shop and buys all the weapons. Like a 9 millimeter Uzi laser sight auto mag and just all this weird in the... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the guy who was from the Gremlins was the uh, the old guy from the Gremlins was the gun shop guy. Uh, so you know, but with Re- I think for Reese, you needed someone who could actually act and and probably had an American accent. And Michael Bean was great. Uh, no, the crazy thing is, and this is a joke I do, uh, is the original. Well, there was two original choices for uh, the Terminator. One was the uh, probably my. Outside of John Glover, my favorite character actor, uh, Lance Henriksen. Uh, and there's actually some... Who's that? He, uh, if you saw his face, uh, I'll pull it up. Uh, you would recognize him. Like He's like literally a, a 50-year working actor. Um, he was in the uh, spinoff of X-Files called uh, Millennium, which is one of my favorite short-run TV. Was he in Hard Target? Yes, uh, oh yeah, that old guy. He's got like a very uh, chiseled. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's in that. Uh, he's in Aliens, right? Yeah, yeah. He plays the. Uh, um, the yeah, android. I know who you're talking about. He's in everything. Yeah, I mean his IMDb page is probably literally 200 plus credits. Uh, Good for him. Um, he was uh one of the first choices, and the crazy thing is when they were considering Schwarzenegger his Reese. They were like, well, we need a big menacing guy. And this is going to sound like a bullshit joke, but their other Clint choice Eastwood. was O.J. Simpson. Shut up. Really? And Jane, it's, and it's in the extras. Was this with, right around the time he killed Nicole? No, this was... That was uh, the 90s. 83. No, this was 11 years before. And the casting director and James Cameron were like, 
No, not believable as a killer. Uh, hello. Well, uh, the whole court system didn't think so either. So, right. so maybe they were right after all. Uh, so uh, that's crazy. Epstein uh, didn't kill himself. Right. Uh, well, that's another podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, Epstein, boy, that guy was a real dirty birdie. Uh, but uh, he should probably have gotten into L.A. comedy with his habits. Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Um. So, uh, so that's why I like the first one so much. I love the cool. Like you don't hear cool. But you're always gonna pick the '80s over now. Not necessarily, uh, but it just when you do these iconic film uh, franchises, uh, I, I just think there's always, all almost one hundred percent of the time, the remake lacks the charm. But this wasn't a remake. But not. Maybe not because, the remake, but like this. Because our friend Don Barris was telling us how Arnold said the other day on Jimmy Kimmel that he considers this the third of a trilogy because it's the final movie of the Terminator. Like the one with Christian Bale didn't really count, and but I mean, yeah, maybe remake. I mean, it's not a remake, but like I, I it's clearly a, a member of the franchise. Uh, it's a sequel. Yeah, and they. I think they always lose the charm of the first movie. I do like that um, in the new one, it didn't, like, I, I struggle with watching action movies now because we've gotten too good at technology film-wise. So everything is so digital, it looks like a video game because we're good enough that we can digitalize it to where it looks real, but it doesn't look real enough to where your brain is like, mm, something's off and like clearly yeah because it's not real it's been sped up or altered but this one i didn't feel that way and i liked that so it had a lot of action in it well that was my problem uh you know with creed too i think you know like i think yeah I said to you in the middle of the movie this just looks like a video well game. that's even like the new rambo it was good but it was still like i was like first of all we did this. We did a sketch in imp, uh, improv the other day where you just talk about how ridiculous action movies are now. Like the thing that blows my mind is injuries. If you got injured the way some of these people get injured in movies, like if I got shot in the stomach, I'm not running another ten days on that as a civilian. Sorry, not gonna happen. So when I watch these movies, sometimes I'm like. But that's not, that's not, that's not how that's gonna work. And also, where, when, when do you guys eat? When do you sleep? Where's that part of the movie? But that was like the first Rambo. Like I could, yeah, it's a little far fetched that one guy could basically take on the whole sheriff. But also, office. I have friends in. I can't say who they are. I know people in special forces that could do what Rambo did. But I could see it happening in the first yeah. Rambo, and then like the last Rambo where he's like. You know, if you haven't seen the movie by now, you're not going to see it. Uh, you know, he's literally killing a whole branch of the cartel. It's like, that's, I can't see that happening. No, not at 70 um, years old. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I just like the grittiness of the first one. Uh, you know, and I feel the same way about all the Predator remakes, uh, you know, or, or not remake. Well, in one case, it was a direct remake, the last one. Uh, which I was disappointed in because it was written by the guy who wrote the first one, Shane Black. Uh, you know, just like that first Predator, and I know we're going to get back to Terminator. Like, you you took seven dudes, 
like you know schwarzenegger was probably the best actor of the bunch which just tells you you had a professional wrestler in jesse ventura who probably literally had never acted before you had the great bill duke legendary african-american film director he's a good actor he was probably the best actor of the bunch carl weathers apollo creed you had uh Sonny Landham, who played the Indian, who was like a stuntman and, and dabbled in like low-level porn. Uh, you know, that movie should not have worked with, let's just say, acting-wise, not the greatest cast. But they had the best chemistry. And you actually, like I really liked how in the original Predator, you didn't see the Predator for the first 80% of the movie. Because they couldn't afford to put him in. But like I really liked that you it really built up the anticipation. And they had to re that that's that's a smart writer. That's like Jaws. Like there's so many problems with Jaws, the electronic shark, that that's why he's in like he's actually only in less than ten percent of the movie. Which is why, you know, speaking of casting, the original Predator was Jean Claude Van Damme. And he broke his ankle in the costume because he couldn't wear it you know it's like peter weller and robocop it was just an incredibly bulky uh costume and then so they got kevin peter hall who was uh legit like seven feet tall and uh you know he actually in real life died of aids from a blood transfusion uh but like it was like you know you look at the last predators just a bunch of mid 20 something actors good looking like they didn't look like you know an elite group of you know but that's i yeah i mean i think that's also just because you're obsessed with the 80s you're never gonna say the new one's good but uh, well i'll tell just to like name one name one movie that's a sequel or remake in the last 10 years that you think is as good as an 80s movie well i will say this and it's not i mean it's this uh, century you say charlie's angels get out no no that's another podcast we might because I have a spot at the comedy store in about 40 minutes. We might book in this with my thoughts on our thoughts on Charlie's Angels because it's a complete disaster at the box office. And the uh, director, Elizabeth Banks, uh, blamed Director, him. producer, actor, and writer. But I mean, director, uh, did she do all those for Charlie's Angels? Yes. Well, she recently came. I, I thought she just directed it. Uh, yeah. She, she came said, out and she blamed. Said, well, if you're gonna bomb, at least have your name in four of the credits. Well, I don't know if you should do that if you're gonna bomb, but uh, she came out and blamed men for not wanting to see a basically a feminist action movie, and uh, me and Chandler are gonna see it before we. Yeah, but that made me angry because it's like, wasn't the last Charlie's Angels a feminist movie? So, w- what are you saying? Well, it kind of reminds me, and I think we could say this without having seen the movie yet. Uh, Your version of feminist is what she means. Well, it, it's like, you know, the the TV series, and I love women. They're sexualized. I think I'm very... Uh, you love a woman. But Right, but I mean, I'm, I'm women's rights. You know, you guys should get paid. If you're, you're, if you're an A-list director and you're a female, you should get paid as much as James Cameron if you're making what he's making in terms of films and quality. Uh, but the TV show made by Aaron Spelling was basically three whores uh, skimping around in bikinis catching bad guys. But that's what James Bond did. But, and it's funny you say that, because uh, 
there were when Roger Moore stopped being James Bond, and that's the Roger, that's the James Bond I grew up with. Some people Sean Connery fans. Some people are uh, Pierce Brosnan. You're probably Ooh, uh, like I like Pierce Bronson. But, but you grew I, up with Daniel Craig. If I ever met an, another older man that I would leave you for, it'd be him. Well, I'd leave you for uh, Roger Moore, but he's dead, so yeah. I can't. Uh, but in between Roger Moore and uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, Pierce Brosnan couldn't do James Bond because he was still obligated to uh, St. Elsewhere. Or was it, uh, what was he on? Uh, no, Remington Steel. Yeah. So they needed to get someone and. Uh, they got a like a legendary British actor by the name of Timothy Dalton, who I loved in the two James Bond movies he did. Uh, but this was also kind of when AIDS was, you know, really, you know, full force in the news in the mid '80s, and uh, so they kind of had him with one girl in both movies, and you know, he he brought a lot of acting to the table because like, he was like a legit like fucking. A, a level actor skill wise and it's like well, wait a minute in every roger moore james bond he was literally fucking in the opening credits he was a whore he was it, it, he was like the most misogynistic he character. was a womanizing whore he was and then with timothy dalton I mean, that's what austin powers was like ripped off of right i mean he was just a, a sexist misogynistic uh, crime fighting uh, superhero and then Timothy Dalton they had him with one chick he was acting and they didn't do that well these his two films because yeah. like well this ain't James Bond because the thing is movies are your fantasy they're what everyone's fantasy wants to be they play into some sort of fantasy Besides porn. But porn's kind of movies, so maybe that too. So, for instance, the old James Bond is playing into a guy's fantasy of being the man and it's playing into a girl's fantasy of you meeting this suave secret agent that no one knows about who, and you're just like, ooh, I, you know what I mean? Charlie's Angels, the opposite genders, but the same thing. You can take that as like the new Joker. The new Joker plays into a fantasy of the underdog winning, sticking it to the man. That's a fantasy we all have when you get down. The That's what you have to do as a filmmaker. You have to make the majority of us connect to this fantasy and be like, yes, I feel an emotional connection and that's why I like this movie. I think Elizabeth Banks miss the ticket on that because you can have feminist leads. You can have women of power in charge and kicking ass. But I think, first of all, blaming a culture of or a whole gender because your movie failed is kind of not feminist of you because feminist is technically believing you're equal to the other gender. It's not thinking you're better or can make a movie better. And if she play, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I need to see it before I make this statement. If, but I'm going to make it. If she played into more like it's a woman's world. Yeah, no, that's not a, that's not a fantasy I have. That's not a fantasy most women have. Most women just want to be treated with respect and believe that they can kick ass too. 
Oh yeah, I'm not you saying know? you can't have three female badasses. That's what I'm saying. I, I I'm not. I don't think you're saying that either. I I liked the old Charlie's Angels. I was like, I want to be Drew Barrymore, and and Lucy Liu and Lucy and, Liu uh, and Cameron, Cameron Diaz. Diaz. Yeah, that was a cool movie. Like I even liked uh, the movie Jennifer Garner did Peppermint, um, where she was a or, or even Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. Like I believe Charlize Theron is an ultimate feminist female icon who can kick ass, but also is beautiful and sexy and you want to watch her do it. You know what I mean? Well, I think the problem is, uh, among many things is, uh, you know, I'll give this to the fast and furious movies and I have not seen very many of them. Uh, it goes back to your original question from a few minutes ago, name a film or, or remake or whatever, uh, from this era that, I liked. I love the first Fast and Furious movie, mm-hmm. the very, very first one. And then with each one, I thought they lost a little bit more charm because obviously it's a very successful franchise. The budgets got bigger. I mean, the last one, Hobbs and Shaw, was like so ridiculously like cartoonish, which I guess is the kids want. But like that, that first one was like, I can kind of see this happening. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like, and I'm not the person that Hollywood is making films for, but since it's my, my our podcast. But you are. You're a person that's going to go to the movie theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, but like I just, uh, you know, like even going back to the James Bond analogy, like with the Timothy Dalton ones, they made him angry because uh, his best friend had gotten killed and his wife uh, was killed. Or his best friend survived and the wife was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's like bitter and angry. It's like, this is not the James it's Bond. Sad. Right. It's James Bond, you want to be James Bond. Right. And you're like, I don't want to be sad and my wife died. Like I want him fighting characters like the Richard Keel character Jaws, like this unstoppable monster with silver teeth and shit like that. And like Robert Davi was the bad guy in in the one Timothy Dalton one. He's like this guy's just a Colombian drug dealer. Like, and I love Robert Davi, but like, uh, and so like with Charlie's Angels, I don't think the bad guy, from what I understand, is very good. Uh, you know, and the cast, yeah. frankly, like we were talking well, last night, was like Kristen Stewart. I know it's big in Twilight. Not, yes. But like, but that, she's never been an action star, so that's why I was like, "What the?" But I kind of like that sometimes when you cast a non-traditional action, or a non-action star in an action role. I like those. Like Matt Damon is the Born Identity guy. Yeah, or like, uh, what's his face is Jack Ryan. Right, John. John uh, Krasinski. You know, I I like the sometimes a non-traditional. Uh, but you know the other two girls uh, who I know are known to like you because you're in the business. But I don't know really what they're in that much. Like I don't think they were like, you know. So so you've got one. The lead is like still a A list actress, but like kind of like not super relevant right now. Mm-hmm. And then the other two are like you know fresh face working women, and I think one's a lesbian, right? Yeah. Kristen Stewart. The so you can't. I mean, like obviously, gays, straights, blacks, whites should be given the opportunity for any role. But you know, when, when this is a male kind of testosterone based franchise, you know, I, I think guys are like, oh, she's not. She 
I think guys want to think they could fuck anyone. Yeah, that's what I said. That's why I said there's a lot of men who are closeted per publicists and agents telling them to do because they're not a woman's fantasy. Right. You know, like you're like, oh, well, I can never. They're never going to want me. They're they're gay. They're known to be gay. So that's another thing. I also. um, Whenever I'm interested how this movie got made. And I mean that in the most sincere way, because can you look up how much the budget was? Because whenever I'm in a pitch meeting, execs always ask you a simple question. They say, why is this movie being made? What's the point? And you have to have a good answer. A lot of times people say, well, it's this and this put together. It, tugs on the heartstrings of this. This is very relevant. Um, my, that's why I wonder, did they ask Elizabeth Banks why she wanted to make this movie? Did they ask her? Because it's hard to make a movie in 2019. Uh, it's hard to sell. An, because action movies are very expensive. It's hard to convince people, especially with us outs- outsourcing to China, it's hard to get a movie in theater. And for something like this to fly under the radar of being made and paparazzi and Buzz not be around it until uh, almost opening day and then it to flop with that much money be put on the table, you have to ask, where what what was in what was development like? Because to me, it's a known fact that if a movie's going to be popular, let's say like a uh, Ant Man, or let's not use Ant Man because I know actual stories about that. Let's say, oh uh, fuck, uh, let's just say the show Jack Ryan. Let's say that's getting made. If you know it's going to be popular and you know it's an action show and you know there's a little bit of buzz. For a fact, I know that actors will pay a production assistant or an assistant money to go to paparazzi and say, this is where they're going to be filming. Try to go get photos of the movie and put them in your magazine for a sneak peek because it creates buzz around that movie and it hypes it up even more. Like if you're like, oh, I got a sneak peek of a, who's in the show or what this superhero was wearing. And there wasn't really anything for Charlie's Angels. It's just like no one cares. You know what I mean? Like you didn't make something that anyone cared about. Well, I'm also looking at the rest of the cast, like that's probably the top 20 actors in the film. And obviously they're all working actors. But uh, Patrick Stewart is really the only one. You go, I know that guy, that's the guy from Star Trek. And, you know, and I'm not saying you have to like, you know, stack the movie with A-list actors. You can't really do that due to budget. But like, you know, I, I think a movie like Charlie's Angels could have survived if you had a great bad guy or a girl, right? Uh, like, you know, you turned me on to a show called Animal Kingdom where Ellen Barkin is an amazing bad guy mm-hmm. or girl, uh, bad person. Uh, of course, not anymore. If, if you don't watch Animal Kingdom, or their not. budget was forty-eight million dollars, and they made eight point four million dollars uh, opening weekend. Hashtag not good. <laughs> uh, and I know that uh, Terminator didn't exactly burn up the charts, 
so you know, it, you know, it, it's uh Well, the one one of the girls casted had only ever been in like one other movie. Or but no, it's also not. like Yeah, I mean there's that. She'd been in a few other shows, but but you know, it goes to the, like the the last predator, the remake. Uh, it didn't do that well um, because I just don't think they're cast right, uh, you know. And that's uh, and I also think Charlie's Angels, you know, in the, uh, the the commercials and the trailers, you know, when we saw in the movies, it didn't have that scene that made you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think Fast and Furious does better than any film franchise I've ever seen is uh, even though I haven't seen the majority of the They films, make good trailers. They have good editors. But they give you that one action shot. Uh, you know, I think the last, I think with Hobbs and Shaw, it was they were in a high rise and they're driving cars out of the high rises into the next high rise. And you're like, okay, this I could be lost in a suspension of disbelief watching this for two hours. I You didn't see that with Charlie's Angels. I mean, a trailer really can make a movie. Well, they also, you know, one of the writers that helped um, Elizabeth Banks did Beauty and the Beast and The Huntsman. Like, that's not action movies. And the other one did The Lake House, which is a love story. Like, it it just confuses me all around. And it, it makes me angry because... It, actually, it doesn't make me angry. Because at the bottom line... Either you know what's going to sell or you don't. And I think this the reason Elizabeth Banks is upset is because this shows she's not a good producer. Well, like it's like, you know, Hollywood gives you a few chance, a few windows to really prove yourself. And when you get up to the she's a wonderful actress, I'll say that. And I have nothing against Elizabeth Banks. I there are things she can do that I can't. And, you know, but I think from a producer standpoint or maybe from a writer standpoint or maybe in a, a director's, she doesn't have it because I've worked with directors like Pete Berg. Pete Berg's a good actor, but he's a better director. That's the way his brain, he just sees what works. Meaning I've walked on set, he'll walk on, get two takes of something and be like, I'm done. I know exactly. That's, that's exactly what I wanted. And he's right. I've seen people that are producers that can, pull together a cast like no other like the producers of animal kingdom putting that cast together were smart they're good producers well you talk about uh, you know like pope uh in animal kingdom mm-hmm. uh i've seen him in a lot of things uh, sean hatosi i think is how you say his last yeah name. but he is pope and but like i've never seen him play this angry br- brooding you know hulk uh, you know, usually he's like the, it's kind of like the Donnie Wahlberg, <laughs> you know. Or a like, cop, like he's been a cop a few times. But he's like, you know, you know, Donnie Wahlberg and like uh, NYPD uh, or uh, Blue Bloods. Yeah, uh, You goofy. know, kind of plays the, not goofy, but like, you know, lovable, you know, semi-goofy guy. I, and there's a way that he plays this where he is angry, but you also sympathize and you like I love his character. Oh yeah, and and the other guys uh, are all good in it. Uh, Jay, like, and a lot of them, they're not big actors either. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I think and I've often said if I ever quit stand up, which I don't think I ever will, 
uh, I would love to be a casting director, like, cause I, and obviously I'm not going to be given any big movies to cast, but like, I love casting and, and like the character actor parts I really love. Like, I think Charlie's Angels could have survived if, uh, you had like that great bad guy or girl, but usually in a superhero movie. Like I would have loved to seen just, I don't know. Was the bad guy in the new Charlie's Angels a boy or girl? It's two dudes. See, I would have loved to see someone like Aquafina be a bad guy. She's a female. She's a comedian, but she is so talented and I think she'd be a funny Dr. Ken-esque bad guy and that means like comedians can often play really good bad guys because I think they're uh, character actors but they're they have a fantasy of okay my whole life I'm being the, the jokester you know uh, you know the good guy you know like I think Dr. Ken would play be a great bad guy because his whole life he's like the lovable dr ken you know like i mean he was kind of a bad guy in uh the hey, but i mean that but yeah but like in a in a straight up action movie like the next avengers or whatever you know it's like i think some of the best bad guys and it goes to, you know, when i was talking about matt damon like you wouldn't think he was especially some of my age growing up with schwarzenegger van damme seagal even Jeff Speakman, who was like a karate guy, uh, even think I would like Matt Damon as a you know superhero, but I liked mm -hmm. it. Uh, in RoboCop, um, the two bad guys had never played bad guys before, and they begged the producers to let us try out for the bad guy parts, like because Ronnie Cox uh, was always the dad, or, or in uh, the other bad guy. Um, Kurtwood Smith, who was the dad in the 70s show. Like, you know, he got. Yeah. He, oh, yeah, that's so funny. But, like, if you go back and you know Kurtwood Smith from the 70s show. Yeah. And then right. you go watch Robocom and go, wow, he's a great dick. That's like, what's the guy that's in CSI Miami? Caruso. He all, he plays a good bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you wouldn't, I would never guess that knowing him. From CSI Miami. Well, he was a great bad guy in Crime Story. Yeah, which, uh, I love him. Um, I just like I would like I would love to play a bad guy one day. I would too. Because I love playing crazy mean act like roles, character roles, uh, in scenes and improv. Because there's so much freedom in being the the bad one. It's it's like being a heel like if i was a wrestler i'd want to be the hill which is why i you know i'm not god i could have gone a million years without mentioning roast battle uh but i think the reason i was so good on that was because i was that's so outside of my mr nice guy everyone loves their all character to get to sit there and you know call jimmy carr the biggest comic in the world a fucking loser because people <laughs> want to be liked and people love to like people no people like to like people but people I, love to hate people oh yeah i mean if you it, it's funny like you know rowdy roddy piper rest in peace you know uh when i first met him i said dude i hated you as a kid 
because he was the great bad guy and he just looked almost like he was gonna cry he's like why and he got really sad when i told him that i'm like because you were such a great dick and then he laughed and you know most it's funny you bring up wrestlers you know most bad guys are the nicest guys like rick rude was a great guy by most accounts uh, mm-hmm. rick flair is you know rick flair and uh, most nice people are actually real big dicks oh yeah because they're fake you know yeah you know we know especially in the comedy world you, you think some of the nicest comics out there are like oh my god i'd love to hang out with them no they're complete dicks it's, and they're they're they have terrible personalities most people play bad people have great personalities like leah michelle plays such an america's sweetheart She's like the biggest bitch I've ever worked with. <laughs> but, but, you know, a guy who does, uh, is as nice as he seems is Chris D'Elia. Like, mm-hmm. he's like fucking really nice. Like, you know, and if there's anyone on earth who could be a dick, it'd be him. He's a top comic. His TV shows do well. His movies do well. His stand-ups through the roof on Netflix. You know, he could have a bit of an attitude and he gets it. It's like, I'm going to be nice to people. You know, he, well, when you're that staff, it's like, why be mean? Like, everything's both, going for me. No comics of both genders who are who I want to fucking cunt punch close to that uh status of Chris's and who either were his status and dropped because uh, my uh, well, I won't say his name because it gives away who I'm talking about, but uh, you know, I had one friend of mine who's a casting director, uh, may or may not have been on this couch, uh. He's like, I'll never work with Comic A again because, you know, he was a complete dick. And you know what? My rule is you can be a dick to me if you're a star. This guy was not a star because he had a few bombs in the world and whatnot. So, oh, I bet I know who it is. I mean, we don't have to get into it because, you know. Well, I know. I know it is just because, like, it's not hard to figure out. You can figure out who's a dick and who's nice to see how much they're still working in Hollywood. Like, Katherine Heigl is a fucking nightmare to work with. And, and that's, that's why, why she doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, she she probably like she would have been good uh, in Charlie's Angels if maybe she was you know a little nicer. Her, her you know star power would have been a little bigger. And uh, oh yeah, because she's hot. You know, blonde, yeah. big tits. But no one wants to work with her. Yeah. She's terrible. She looks like Charlie. I bet you Kristen Stewart is good to work with. Yeah. It, uh, friends. Yeah. I mean. But like, I'm sure they were like, okay, well, she's not an action star. You know, Twilight's kind of at the end of the, you know, the run. But you know what? She's easy to work with. Well, that's why the Hemsworth brothers work. Right. They're easy to work with. And that's why the Rock people, even though he's late to set all the time, he's easy to work with and people work with him. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I'm sure Vin Diesel has got to be easy to work with. Mm. He's constantly working. I've worked with him. He's not that good, but. Well, he was nice to me once when I met him at the Beverly Center. He's nice to me, but he's just tough. Well, you know, there's a lot of pressure on those guys. I think sometimes we forget, not you, but like the audience forgets like, you know, Vin Diesel outside of the Fast and Furious because now The Rock is pressures on him now to carry that. Like every movie Vin Diesel's in, it's on him to carry it to whatever uh, mm-hmm. expectations are. So I see your uh, pacing. Do we need to go? No, no. I mean, we got we got a few more minutes. Uh, but, you know, at the comedy store, you never know who doesn't show up for their spot. And uh, so, uh, okay. but, you know, I, I think one more example of, you know, uh, uh, casting saving a movie that might not have worked. You know, frankly, Die Hard. Uh, you know, Bruce Willis was like literally the seventh choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, uh, the usual suspects. You know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Clint Eastwood. But they thought, well, he's too old to like 
do all that running and jumping. Uh, and, you know, so Bruce Willis clearly wasn't who they wanted. Uh, but the bad guy, uh, rest in peace, Alan Rickman, who was never a bad guy. Yeah, I love Alan. He's so uh, sweet. But, like, he had so many great ideas you know they wanted him to wear like a fucking terrorist outfit and you know with like the bombs around his waist and he's like no i'm gonna wear a suit he's like no i'm gonna yeah right i'm gonna wear a custom-made suit my hair is gonna be perfectly quiet and that's what i want to see a bad guy wearing not all right. bad guys look like terrorists so i think uh, getting back to charlie's angels if they had an alan rickman uh, type of bad guy that, that you know here's here's who would be a good bad guy do you know who Blake Lively is? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds' wife. She, beautiful blonde, great body, good looking, in her 30s, in a cat suit, like a like a custom suit, like women's tailored suit. Suave, well-spoken, bad guy. Like just plays a total witch. Or maybe in a, I'm sure because Animal Kingdom, I, they wouldn't have wanted like to have too much of a Smurf like. No, it doesn't have to be an old woman though. Like, but it like be a I young think woman. Ellen Barkin would have been a great right. bad girl, and that'd be all, actually kind of funny. That that's a or movie. Or even Gal Gadot. I mean, I know she's Wonder Woman, but like someone like that. Like there are so many strong female. <laughs> female. So I'm wearing leather pants right now. My balls are itching. I'm, <laughs> Digging into my gonads. My listen to this podcast. But like that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. Gotta go. Uh, that would be like you think in theory. Okay, you've got three good girls and a bad girl. Like, but I could see that working. If, but have if, you seen girls fight? Is vicious. But I mean, like you would think in an action movie, we need at least one dude. Uh, the like, dude's a sidekick. So. Uh, you know, I think casting could have saved the movie, and it's no offense to anyone who was in the movie, but the bad guys in this movie were just generic, you know, cookie cutter, like, you know. I want to ask you one question. So, Sorry, I talk too much on the podcast. It's the whole point of a podcast. Um, In your opinion, we saw the Joker, too, like a week ago. Mm-hmm. How was your casting? How did you feel about your casting of Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker? Oh, he's great. I mean... It's not the, uh, I don't know what you'd classify the Joker as being a. a, a it's car- not the character. Not a cartoon movie, but like a superhero movie, or I don't know what the category is. It's not the superhero movie that I grew up with. Like I grew up with, okay, Superman is fighting Lex Luger. It's uh, not the comic character. You right, see. comic book. I get, that's why you're on the podcast. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Timothy Dalton, James Bond, you know, reference for me mm-hmm. is like, okay, this is not Cesar Romero. This is not Jack Nicholson. Uh, but you know, he's, I think he's the best actor right now. So it was like, yeah, watching an acting lesson on how to be a bad guy. Uh, it's going to sound weird saying this cause, but you know, he, for me, he was almost too good of an actor to yeah. play the Joker. Like, which is crazy. I uh, think, no, I agree. I think halfway through, it's how you felt in Rambo where you are like, you're like, get him. Like, fuck it. 
like beat them up like you deserve to shoot everyone right now you know what i mean like he made you he made you feel as low as he did and take you to a place that i think a lot of people have felt that you don't want to see a bad guy succeed always because that's so taboo and i guess meta or whatever but i do but i did like i well i usually do but i'm like a different type of critic but like the majority of people and i know there's a lot of hate i get it's not comic book i could go into a whole spiel about origin stories because i know all the joker theories it's too long for this podcast we can do it another time but he served the purpose of a good actor. I think he should win best actor. I don't think Todd Phillips should win best director because it definitely wasn't directed. But he was Arthur, meaning not the Joker. He was Arthur. Like he was that person and made you sympathize. And you it was almost a cautionary tale of why you should be good to people when they're down. Well, it was just a different uh different comic book movie than i've seen it was just like the acting was too good uh you know i grew up like you know uh what was the batman it wasn't jokey one? it wasn't it yeah wasn't... I, and that's what i grew up with so it's just that is you talk about the an older person uh and the millennial like like i love that batman where schwarzenegger was mr freeze i that's my favorite batman this is why we're dating but like jim carrey uh no jim carrey wasn't in that uma thurman was Poison, Poison Ivy. Ivy. And I will say John Glover was Bane. No, it was wasn't. the he scientist. Was the, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I like like a cartoonish Mr. Freeze when Jim Carrey was the Riddler. Yeah. Uh, the penguin. I liked the penguin. Right. Danny DeVito in the in the very first Batman, I think. Yeah, that was uh, Catwoman. Oh Michelle Pfeiffer was the best Catwoman. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. So I like like but you know, that's just a different uh you know, it's like the music I like. You know, I like to be entertained. I don't necessarily care if they're the best musicians on earth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whereas most of my friends are like, oh, no, Earl, we're not going to see Kiss. They're, they're not good musicians. I'm like, uh, I, but that's so snobby because, like, well, I think sometimes they are. you just want to be a good show. I just want to be, you know, you can't make, you know, music for 50 years and not be a decent musician. Uh, you know, are they Eddie Van Halen? Probably not, but. Uh, are you entertained? That's like, did visually. I make you laugh? You know, at a show. But what I did like about this Joker was, as a stand-up comic of almost 20 years, I got the bitterness and anger of, like, I'm not saying I've left rooms like the Joker, but, like, I've definitely, like, hit home with me a few scenes of, like, you know, I've been in a room where people aren't rooting for me because, oh, he he shouldn't be on, you know, this TV show yeah. or I'm funnier than him or, you know, I, you know, God damn it! Once. Or even going to therapy and him. Right, I've been to therapy. Being like him being like, do you listen to me? But like I experienced that with roast battle, and it, fuck, I hate mentioning that show so much. But you know, it is a big part of my life where like I was not the best roaster uh, to that could have gone on to the TV part of the show, but yeah. uh, I was entertaining. Or even the part where they make fun of him because you know that's that's like the show lights out right now with David Spade, like. That's a big thing with a lot of stand-up comics here in L.A. because they're all trying to get on that show because it's the new one that books stand-up comics. And I feel like that's very parallel to 
the thing with Robert De Niro is you like I've seen comics on there that I'm like I've never heard of you or also why the fuck are you on this show is it because your agent knows the booker or because you fuck the booker you know what I mean it's like it's very similar to the movie so it's very relatable oh yeah but uh, you know that's Hollywood so uh, Chandler where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram at Chandler Barbie can you spell it for the fans C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R-B-A-R-B-E-E. And uh, you guys know me. I'm at Earl Skakel, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, too, if you do that. Uh, you know, Facebook's kind of like the, the new vine. It's dying. But, uh, you know, I do uh, promote sometimes uh, on there. And, uh, you know, Monday, you know, I don't want to say who it is. I think you guys can all guess, but King Rat will be making his return if the schedules line up. And uh, we didn't even get into Chandler seeing Rat a second time. We'll do that another time because Daddy's got to go to the comedy store right now and make 20 bucks. Leave a review, please, on Apple Podcasts if you have not done so already. 